When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Thank you for taking the time to stop in and hear my conversation with Amy Heilman. We'll be talking about identity how important it is and how to create a solid identity, which builds a foundation or home base with which you can do life from with courage, clarity, and confidence. Amy has written a 45-page book, Soul Stripper. In it, she shares her various struggles with identity and what she learned as she chose to turn to God for revelation and the stripping process. You can find Amy's book, a free copy of Soul Stripper, on her webpage for her ministry, Breathe Deep Ministries. So it's breathedeepministries.org forward slash book. Once on her page for the free book, you'll see a link for a donation. If you're inclined to support her work, any amount is acceptable. She's been known to do a Bible study based on Soul Stripper, so stay connected with her to see when or if she'll do another one. There is so much good stuff you can learn about who you are that will naturally come when you discover more about who God is. What stood out for me in our conversation is when she pinpointed what our personal contributions look like when we agree with the enemy, allowing him to gain ground in our heart and mind. And she shares the action steps that she took to find freedom from Satan's plan for her life. As we know, God has a plan for our life, but so does Satan. Listen in as she talks about hiding behind lies, pride, how Satan's best tools for our destruction are anxiety and overwhelm, natural emotions, right? but destructive nonetheless, because they can result in deception, doubt, finally isolation, which is Satan's most fertile ground to do his most horrible work. Amy shares where to take these emotions and why the God of the Holy Bible is trustworthy with our stripping process. So Amy, you're here to talk about identity. And for me, the older I get, I wish I'd really known a lot sooner, but identity is everything. To me, it determines who you are, who you think you are worthy to marry, uh, the job you have, the way you build relationship, the relationships you think you're worthy of. What is your particular thought about the importance of identity? Identity is everything. I think identity is knowing the very core of your being, of who you are, in Christ, who you are in God, in our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why specifically our identity in the God of the Holy Bible? I think that it's so important for us to have a biblical worldview as far as our worldview has to do with what we believe, why we're here, who created us, and why we're here and what's our purpose for being alive. So your Christian worldview would need to be rooted in the absolute truth of the living word. And from there, knowing the truth, the absolute truth of the living word of God and his audacious love for you, his true character, that is where it begins. I don't know of any other deity that claims to have created life 
claims to have created humans. So to look to the one that we know that does take um, credit for that, it makes sense. Plus, he's proven himself through his truth. And we do want truth. I don't know, though. Is truth relative today? <laughs> Moral relativism. <laughs> yeah, That's right. the definite worldviews in our society, especially in the Western I believe that the biblical worldview that's really where it rests on is who created the universe, who created you. We are created in the image of God. Mm. And that's really where the crux of it starts, where your core identity lies. That's the most important piece. And from there, everything that you view, your view from the world, who you see the true character of God is and who you are in him everything comes from that. It's interesting. Um, the last few years, homeschooling my kids for 10 years, one of the core classes they've had to take before graduation is worldview. And so we have studied several different worldviews and different religions. I wanted my kids to have a very wide open to be able to see what other people, how they see God and how they see the world. And one of the most significant pieces in looking at the different worldviews is there is no other deity or God that invites you into a personal, intimate relationship with him. Christianity and walking out the truth of the living word of God, absolute truth, that's the only religion. Christianity. Yeah, I think uh, Christianity is the only religion where the God reaches to the people. Yes. constantly reaching to his beloved versus the other religions where you work toward, you know, gaining access to that God, if it's even possible that you have access to that God. I agree with you. So that's a strong foundation right there to build your identity on truth, the creator who knows you more intimately than anyone else. You wrote a, well, turned it into a PDF and you make it free on your website to people and a donation if they feel moved to do so. And it's pretty significant the way you broke down the different identity crisis, if you will, because I do believe that God comes and heals us in layers. He heals us a little bite at a time. I remember there's been a couple of times in my life where I've said to him, Lord, I don't want to go back there. You and I have already been back there. I've already looked at that. What's the purpose in going back? He said to me one time, Sherry, I don't take you back to hurt you. I take you back to heal you. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, okay, if you want to go back, if I get this inkling to go back to look at something because it still has some sort of hold on me, then my attitude is, all right, Lord, let's go. What do you need to show me? What do you want to tell me about who you are in this situation? Because I want to be healed here full and whole. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the first one that you start off with, uh, the first chapter is called the stripping process. And you talked about hiding behind layers, about making others think you have it all together. I think that's one of the biggest things about Christianity, although the older I get, whether it's just me as an individual or maybe the church, uh, but I think we start to understand that, yeah, this Christian thing does not mean you have it together and that everything's perfect. So what sort of layers were you hiding behind? Yes, it was written as somewhat of a memoir devotional. And the purpose of writing it actually was for my kids who are now 17 and 19. But when I started writing it about 10 years ago, it was to be able to leave for my kids a legacy 
mm. of God's faithfulness, that they would find their true worth and identity in our triune God. I wanted them to see that aligning yourself with the scripture of the living word, with our triune God, to be able to allow him to strip away anything that would hinder you from finding your true worth in Christ. It's based off of Hebrews 12. Uh, For therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Mm. And I wanted my children to know that as you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he will strip away all of the things that will keep us or hinder us or lie to us about where our true worth is found. So some of the layers that I was hiding behind and I start out in the first chapter is pride and pride of, of thinking or making others think that we have it all together. I think that is definitely one of those layers of the enemy to keep us feeling very overwhelmed, almost in a depressed kind of state. And hiding in that overwhelmment or depression is very isolating. And that's exactly where the enemy, this Satan, the devil wants to keep you. Mm. And being able to throw off that layer of pride and saying, you know what? I don't have it all together and I need some help. And I need to be able to express the things that are going on within my heart and mind with safe other sisters in Christ is so important because the enemy, if he can keep you in the dark and keep you isolated and keep you puffed up with pride that you can't really share what's going on, that's where the deception really begins. And there's a spiral thinking that comes from that. And the hiding, what you're talking about hiding that had you uh, in depression and isolation is not acknowledging it, not dealing with it, still trying to hold up the facade or hold up the, the title. That hiding puts you in that isolation and Satan's best work is done in isolation. So what are some of the tactics that the enemy uses to make those heavy feelings of depression hidden in darkness? Because when you talk about pride, I think pride's a little sneaky. Oh, Absolutely. It can be disguised in many different ways. I think for me in that specific situation, a share in the book was just that, that mask of deception. I think that's one of the things that one of the, the lies of the enemy is deception and doubt. Deception, meaning like I was wearing this mask of to everybody, oh, I've got it all together, got this perfect family going on, but really inside, Everything wasn't perfect and things were starting to build up to the point where (laughs) I couldn't hide anymore. I was desperate for God. Being able to speak with a trusted friend in Christ, my friend at the time, she was practicing as a Christian counselor. And so I knew she was a safe person and she had the tool set that I needed. Being able to to share with her, look, I want to keep up this mask of pride that I have it all together, but really I don't. And I need to talk through some of these things that I'm feeling really overwhelmed. 
I'm feeling like I'm disappointing a lot of people and being able to just drop that mask of pride and realize, you know, that I don't have it all together and I do need help. And I think the other thing also I share is the, the role of being a leader in the church that we can take on this savior mentality that we are responsible for all these people and all of their spiritual state and us caring more than what God had asked me to. There's only one savior and it's not me. (laughs) I think that's a huge realization for anybody who serves in a leadership position in the church and really, well, really any of us. Yes. Yes. I think what's important for people to know of the leaders in their churches, their pastors and, and leaders is they they are human too. Um, they are human too. We are just as susceptible to the weaknesses of everyone else and to deception and to sin and all the other broken places. Everyone else is in the congregation in our church communities. It's important for them to know that as well. A few minutes ago, you mentioned safe person, someone whom you could be vulnerable with, authentic, transparent. How would you define a safe person? We talk a lot about that in the small groups that I led with the book. We talk about transparency and authenticity and creating a safe community that's respectful and honoring to one another. I think as far as being a safe person, you definitely have to have someone who has the same biblical worldview that you do. You have to also have the trust established with that person. Boundaries and margins with that person is very important. Um, There's also the importance of knowing that as you share authentically and transparent with this person and being very real, that what you share and your story with that person stays with that person that your story is not going to be broadcast to anybody else, even disguised as a, uh, that person were to share, oh, we need to pray for Amy because of (laughs) whatever situation you share. There's got to be that trust that that person has your heart and has your back. And that comes with time, I believe, in establishing those authentic relationships with people. I do believe that you have to invest in their lives before you earn the right to speak into their lives. Are you able to define the difference between boundaries and margins? I think the boundaries are pretty solid around. Even God has given us boundaries around our life. I believe his word is a love letter written to us. And in that there's boundaries written. He really clearly defines that if we live within the boundaries that he has set for us, like any loving God, any loving parent, mm-hmm. that keeps us safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think margins sometimes can be a little bit adjusted depending on different times and seasons in our lives. One of the other chapters you had in your book was misplaced identity. Mm-hmm. When we show up to different roles and titles in our lives and we want to fulfill those roles and titles, we find ourselves looking for worth in those titles. One of the things that I've experienced and now as I'm talking to people with various pain and suffering in their life, it has become apparent to me that anytime your life 
is flipped upside down, identity becomes a crisis. When I lost my husband, if I had not already had my feet solid on God, if my only identity had been my title as a wife, I don't know where I would be today because my solidness, if you will, is God. So did I struggle? Was I in pain? Did I grieve? Am I grieving? All yes to that. So you made a really good point talking about the identity and your self-worth and attached to titles, responsibilities, job descriptions. So talk to me a little bit about that. I totally agree with you. When your world is turned upside down and the rug is pulled out from underneath of you and you don't know what side is up, whether it's through the loss of a marriage through death or divorce or job loss or loss of a child or a loved one, all those things, specifically about our different roles in life, especially as women, we have many different roles or hats that we wear, so to speak. And when one of those is stripped off or taken away, it can throw us into a tailspin that we don't even know (laughs) where our worth and identity lie. And what I share in the book, Soul Stripper, is that there are different seasons where the title of pastor's wife or wife or mom, many of those different titles were stripped away from me. And how I had to go back to my foundation of who God said I was, who God says I am to find my true worth and identity. Because if I find it in my role, in my job, or as a spouse, or in a leadership role, or a mom as one of my kids, any of those things can be taken away instantaneously in the fallen world that we live in and things that happen. So finding that true worth and value and being his daughter, a daughter of the king has been the foundational core for me to come back and settle on and then live out of that place. Agreed. If we stand on this rock, And we do life on this rock. We can stretch out this way, stretch out that way, but the foundation never shifts or changes. Everything around us shifts and changes, but not the rock that we're standing on. So in that case, we come into situations in a, in an overflow of who God is. And then, so we contribute to things in a positive way and life is life. So when things happen that, cut very deep or hurt us very deeply, we still have that rock as a foundational base, home base to return to, because that's where I have grieved. That's where I have asked God, who am I now without being a wife? Who do you see me as? Who do you say I am? And he has just spoken some beautiful things over my life. And at the risk of repeating this, because I think I've said it in a couple of other podcasts, but maybe this will fall fresh on somebody's ears today who's listening for the first time when I really cried out to the Lord and I said to him, what am I supposed to be doing now? And he just said to me, Sherry, I don't care what this world gives you, hands you, does to you. I'm writing a bigger love story with you. So you keep your eyes on me and I will write my love story with you. So that really comforted my heart a lot to know that there's something bigger going on in my life and not just what is physically known to me or what is my physical experiences. And it's still comforting to me today. 
Mm, absolutely. I totally agree with you, Sherry. As I mentioned in the beginning, that Hebrews 12 about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And if I can add the author and perfecter of our lives. Mm. So when we are in those places that you described, and there's grief, layers of grief that we don't even know how to deal with. It's so tempting for us as humans to want to grab on to something to hold on to. And that is where we can reach for something that's uh, deceptive or reach for something that's less than what God would have for us. Mm -hmm. But if we can fix our eyes on Jesus and grasp onto his hand and allow him to speak to us about his audacious love for us, then for that core place of knowing we are deeply loved by the beloved, we are his beloved, then we can love audaciously from that core place of our identity. That word audacious was the word that God gave to me this past year in 2020 in our writers group together, Sherry. And that word has proven to be such a um, significant word for me to continue on this journey with my core identity being in living from that audacious place of his love for me and loving others audaciously from that place of my true worth in him. That's living life, a quality life. Is there a Bible verse that you hold on to, to remind you to live audaciously? Mm -hmm. I think that for me, my life verse is Romans 8, 28, that God can work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. And I think that the truth in that, that no matter what happens in that verses, God can work all things, all things for good for those who love him. And I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the truth of his promise and his faithfulness of working all things, all the bad, <laughs> all the things that come at me that I am not expecting, right. uh, all the loss, the grief, the rejection, all those kinds of things that come at me in this you know, broken world that we live in, trusting that God's love and his good purposes for me, he will see me through to the other side. Mm. That's what I've held on to. And I hold on to those examples where he has done that, where something shiny has caught my attention and I'm off over here, but then I come back because it didn't work out and he picks up as if I was never away. I know that God gets it, that we are a people of five senses. And so when we're looking for that solution or that remedy, we do seek out the five senses. So I can completely understand how people get into alcohol and drugs and promiscuous sex and things like that. You come back to your relationship with God with a lot of consequences, a lot of pain, stuff you would have wished we never had experienced, hence his rules, boundaries, if you will, Mm -hmm. because they do keep us safe. But I love that he doesn't hold it against us. I love that he warmly greets us, brings us back into his embrace, and then starts working Whatever we are ready for, he picks up right then and works with us. I love that about him. I never feel shamed or guilty or anything like that. But one of the things that felt 
fresh on me just recently was the Bible verse about God's perfect love casts out fear. And I'm not quite sure I really understood that until having a conversation with a friend of mine. And she's going back to a point in her life where she's asking God, can you meet me back here where I said no to you? And you asked me, am I enough? And I said no to you. And I went off my way and I was wrong. And I want to go back to that day when you asked me that question. And I want to pick up where you left off with me. And I told her, I said, that's amazing. I don't know that I would have ever thought to do that, but perfect love casts out fear. So she's come back to her father to ask that of him because she does not fear him. She's like, I was wrong, daddy. Can we go back to that moment? Can we start again with whatever it is you had for me at that moment? I want that now. And I'm like, well, you got to tell me about how he moves on this because he will do it. He will pick up where we went off on our own and he will redeem it. I'm excited for her. I love the fact that we have that kind of relationship with our God. Absolutely. I love what you just said, Sherry, being able to pick up where we left off with God. And I, I love that verse. Yeah. Perfect love casts off all fear. Mm -hmm. I think for some people doing ministry for 30 years, I've heard people's stories of how they have shared, well, I used to know God or I used to, you know, I used to go to church. I used to, and then this happened. And then I haven't anymore. I just haven't been going. I haven't had that relationship with God. And there's a fear that God does not want to meet with them in that place again, or that God won't. And I think, again, that's a lie and deception of the enemy that needs to be brought into the light for that mm -hmm. person. And God is so faithful and so good and so loving and so gracious. So no matter what your journey has been or you have felt God has been distant from you, he hasn't. <laughs> He hasn't been. And for that fear to be removed and to be able to receive his love and go back to those places, I think that's one of the main things in doing ministry with women for so many years. It's being able to know the true character of God, the true character of our triune God is so core. To know that love, that goodness, that faithfulness, that gentleness, and to invite him into those places to go back and see and allow him to meet you in there. He's a gentleman and he is good and he is faithful and you have to have that core belief. One of the things I've always encouraged the women um, that I've done ministry with is to keep a journal Mm -hmm. And to be able to write down, even if it's only a sentence or two on a regular basis, because being able to keep that spiritual journal, to be able to look back and see where God has met you, how he's been good and how he has been faithful, mm -hmm. being able to share authentically and transparently. I love the book of Psalms and how David is so real and so mm -hmm. raw with God, with his feelings and emotions. And you can see God's faithfulness over David's life. And one can see God's faithfulness over our own lives in that place. 
and trusting God and not reaching for the counterfeit as you just described. There's many things in this world that we can reach for that we think is going to satisfy us. They're the counterfeit of the enemy, but reaching for God himself and trusting that he is enough, Hmm. that what he says is enough. And as we reach for him and trust him to be enough, then in that we are enough. And again, that comes back to our core identity because he is enough and he can be trusted. We are enough in him. That's peace. That's that peace that surpasses all understanding. Our pain is safe with God. If we are out in the world chasing something to uh, help us ease our pain, our guilt, our shame, I'm not safe. I have a target, a bullseye on the back of my head while I'm out there running around. But with God, I can be very transparent, very honest, because if you're in relationship with somebody, you are going to be real with them, or at least you should be able to be real with them. And that's how I am with God. I'm not rude or disrespectful. So he's willing to work with me if I come to him and give him my pain. He is the best one to trust shame and pain and uh, regret with. He's so beautiful about that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He replaces that mourning or those ashes of shame with joy and his love. It reminds me of one of the names for God is El Roy, the Mm -hmm. God who sees us. And it reminds me of a story, if you'll allow me the time. There's a story. Um, we took our children to Disney World. Oh my goodness, it was back in probably 2008. And we were sitting on Main Street on the curb waiting for the parade to start. And all these families and children are sitting on the curb and it's a long time waiting. And one of the people, workers of Disney World invited the kids to come out into the main street to start a game of red light, green light to pass the time. Our daughter, who's an extreme extrovert, begged and pleaded to go out there with all these kids to play this game. Well, we wanted to keep the boundary of keeping her close to us because we knew the time was coming for the parade to start. But she begged and begged and begged. We were like, okay, okay, fine, go ahead. You can go out there and do that. As soon as you hear the music, you need to come back and sit down. That's the boundary, right? Well, she's out there playing. And then all of a sudden, the marching band down the main street in Disney World starts down. And kids are like scattering everywhere. And it's loud and it's chaotic and it's crazy. And she has this look of panic on her face. Where is my dad? Where is my parents? Our eyes never left her. Our eyes were always on her. We knew where she was because we love her and we Mm. wanted her to be safe. We never took our eyes off of her. And so my husband jumped in and like swooped her up and brought her safely into his arms Mm. and sat back down on the curb to watch the parade. And that little story has kept in my mind I believe about the father's heart for us that there might be many a places that we feel we're, we're going to miss out on, or we don't trust him. And we, we will step out of those boundaries or whatnot, but our loving God, our heavenly father never takes his eyes off of us. 
and will swoop us back up into his arms of love and grace. We can just rest in that place, knowing that we are loved and secure, and he never takes his eyes off of us. Think about the value of being able to walk at his pace. Enjoy him, enjoy life, enjoy relationship. No stress. You'll get there in due time because he's never a second late. I love that you just said to be able to walk at his pace or slow down. That's another thing that I feel is really important to encourage our sisters in Christ is to take that time just to slow down Mm -hmm. and to be reading the living word Mm -hmm. and to sit and be loved by God. We live in such a fast paced world, right? Mm -hmm. Or even during this, this year, 2020 with the pandemic and life slowing down, I wonder how many people really taking that time in the slower pace to walk with God and open the Bible. And get familiar again with his word and his heart for his children. Mm. I always talk to my friends about the importance of developing spiritual rhythms in their lives. Spiritual rhythms, meaning those type of habits or, or rhythms that we do that are just a natural part of our daily life. One of my biggest um, passions is encouraging women to want that time in God's word alone with God as much as you do breath. Mm. Breathe Deep Ministries is a women's ministry I started over a decade ago to help encourage women to walk in that pace with our triune God. Like it becomes such natural habit as getting up and brushing your teeth in the morning that you want to walk with God in his living word and his truth. The more you spend time with him, the more you want. It's like the more water you drink, the more water you want. Yes, read the word. Yes, play your worship music, but sit in his presence. Tell him how much you love him and then listen to him tell you how much he loves you. Do you get to experience time with him like that? Absolutely, Sherry. Absolutely. And may I just add that I have loved reading your vlogs and how you write about that so beautifully of just being with God and being loved by him through worship music, through the word. You do a great job encouraging others in your writing. For me, my rhythm of life is I'm a morning person. Not everybody's a morning person. So it's going to look different for each person. But for me, waking up first thing in the morning and grabbing that cup of coffee and my Bible and sitting and just being with the creator of the universe the creator of me, my creator, I am created in his image and it is in him that we live and breathe and move and have our being with God. First thing in the morning is, is a spiritual rhythm. That's is core to, to my life. And again, coming back to identity, God made each person different. In Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece that he has created and each person he's created uniquely with their personalities, with their giftings, all those different things. God has created us individuals. We are created in his image to live into those things. And yes, he wants us to move in and, and, and do from that core, but we can't earn his love or identity from doing those things. 
our identity rests in just being his child first. And then from that place, we can be and do and serve and work. When I get up in the morning, I tell myself, I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. I am complete in Christ. Amen. God says you are complete in me first. I complete you. I love this. I could get up, head to the bathroom, drop dead in the floor, and I'm complete. I could get up, go sit in my chair all day long. I am complete. I could get up, go do work, and I am complete. So I like reminding myself when I feel a little stressed out about things, I say, no, I am complete. I do not need to get into this, or I do not need to do that or say this. I'm complete. So I do love that strengthening of my identity because it definitely calms down stress, anxiety, and takes the burden off of me. You talk about the three D's. Yours is desperation, desire, and dependency. I have a friend who calls things like that the D land, like deceived and death. Because if we show up in the world's value system with that sort of thing, dependent on somebody or desperate for somebody or something, then we're going to be sadly disappointed. But if we show up to God in his value system, then we will be restored in those areas. So what are you talking about when you talk about these three D's? We live in a world where it's supposed to be self-sufficiency, right? We can do this ourselves. We can pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and do this ourselves. So it's self-sufficiency versus dependency is, is very different. Just recognizing that desperate place where we really can't do life without God. Again, if we know that we are created in his image, in him, we, we live and breathe and move and have our being. The very fact that we have breath in our lungs is because of the creator of the universe, our creator. Mm-hmm. And so we have a dependency upon him. And as we see it as that, as we can depend on him to meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. if we see that our dependency is on God, mm-hmm. There is a desire that develops in that place, a desire for more of him, of more of what he wants for us and what he wants for our lives. I think that in our world, there's so many self-help books and podcasts and so many things out there that's all about self and all about bettering the self. And it's a type of form of new spirituality or new age. That's very, very deceiving out there for Christians Mm -hmm. where God invites us into this dependent relationship with him that is good and right and healthy. And from that, that desire and that desperation comes devotion a devotion to him Mm -hmm. and what he has for us devotion for uh, his love for us that satisfies and a devoted life that is all fulfilling and satisfying Mm. when we live from that place. And that's where that desire comes and we desire more of him. I tell women all the time, I am just a desperate woman for God because I know and I have experienced the others all the other different things in this world that says will satisfy and fulfill. And I realize it's a lie. I am just one desperate woman for God. (laughs) Well, when you've tried other things or you've tried to solve things on your own and then you end up empty handed with regrets or shame or whatever, 
you begin to see the stark contrast between what God has for you and what the world has for you. And I do call it heaven's value system and the world's value system, two different things. Absolutely. What seasons in your life have you questioned whether God is still with you or not? Well, I think one of the most significant is, and I share in the book, that a season where I had graduated from Bible college and was starting my first ministry with my husband at the time, we had both gone to Bible college. Neither one of us have grown up in Christian homes, but we got married. We were serving in a youth ministry, and I was also the children's director at the church. And even though we didn't come from Christian backgrounds, I thought, well, we are both Christians. We're both serving in ministry and we are going to live happily ever after. Well, about four years into it, mind you, there were some red flags that were brought to us in our premarital, but I just ignored those because I thought, oh, everything's going to be fine. We're going to live happily ever after. We're both Christians. But he had some brokenness. I had brokenness. His brokenness led him to make some really bad choices that was hurting himself and me and others. And I think that's one of the hardest things for me about marriage is that the two become one and what one chooses to do affects the other, good and bad. So in his decisions and choices, it led down a road that I was not expecting it to turn. And in a very short period of time, my husband had an affair. I lost my first child to to miscarriage and had to walk away and leave the ministry that we had developed with the youth, which I loved so much. So all of that was stripped away from me in a very short period of time. And I literally remember Sherry in my humanness and my flesh reaching for a wine cooler. (laughs) I started drinking because that was what was modeled for me growing up when I was young with stepfathers. And literally holding on to a wine cooler in one hand and Bible in the other and just screaming at God very authentically, where are you in this? I can't feel you. I've trusted you. I've devoted my life to you. And this is where I've ended up. I don't understand. And in that moment, I can't describe to you how I just felt like God's love just fall over me. And I'm sitting here doing this talk with you now because I put down the bottle and picked up the Bible and trusted him and his word. I knew if I continued drinking, what that road would look like. But picking up the Bible was a journey and adventure that I had to trust. And as I did so, I had some beautiful encounters with God, our triune God. That's what I love about him, the different facets of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And he knows exactly where to meet us in those very depths of our soul, those intimate places we are so desperate and needy for him that nothing else will satisfy. And there were moments where he would pull me up in his lap and love me like a loving heavenly father, like a daddy that I didn't have growing up. At times he would be the lover of my soul and comfort me and tell me how beautiful I am and his beloved. And there's times where I can experience the Holy Spirit just come and comfort and fill me up with love and wisdom. And I joke sometimes about God has redeemed me from many things, but definitely an addiction to alcohol is one of them. As a very short-lived, God in his graciousness yanked me back very quickly from falling into that pit of alcoholism or addiction. And so I joke now that there are things in life that come at me that cause me to just want to drink but drink from the living water of God, because I know that I know that I know that it satisfies and that is fulfilling and that he can be trusted in those painful places in our life. God is good and he is faithful. And I look back over my journey and I can see that. And I wanna be known as a woman who audaciously loved God and shared of his goodness and his faithfulness. I like that because it points out when we are desperate for the Lord and we cry out to him for certain things in desperation, not hearing a thing, not sensing anything, except all of a sudden I felt peace come over me. And that was all I would get. You can't put God in a box, but you can vouch for his character and his nature that when we do cry out for him, he does have something to say. He does respond. It's just that sometimes we're too wrapped up in our pain to hear anything. What does God sound like when he speaks to you? How does he relate to you? Mm. Well, that's such a good question. I've had many people ask that. Even my own young adult children say, what do you mean when God's speaking to you? Like an audible voice? It's so hard to describe. I think you mentioned it too, Sherry. The more that you spend time in his living word to get to know his character. Mm. I mean, how do you get to know somebody? You have to be able to spend time with them, right? And as you do that, you begin to recognize their voice. Mm -hmm. Just like you and I have developed a friendship. And when we Mm -hmm. call one another, we recognize each other's voice even before we say who we are. And I think that that's exactly how God is. The more that we are in his living word, the more we're going to hear his voice in our mind's heart, so to speak. I'm intentionally, I'm aligning myself with God's word And I have a thought dropped into my head that I know is not mine. And it aligns with scripture. Mm. I know that's from God. And there'll be times where that'll happen. I have an idea or word drop in my mind and I'll say, okay, does this line up with his living word? Okay. It does. I'm going to call my sister in Christ and say, Hey, Sherry, I feel like the Lord spoke to me this, and this seems to align with scripture. And this is a situation. What do you think? Does that align with the with God's character? And I think it's good, again, to have those safe, to, safe, trusted sisters in Christ to be like, I believe the Lord is speaking this to me. Does this sound like his character to you as well? And to have that affirmation. And like you said, sometimes it's just this overwhelming feeling of just peace and love. 
there's been moments where I've experienced great grief or loss or pain and just not even knowing what to do with it. But perhaps just turning on worship music and just saying, God, meet me here. Mm -hmm. Just meet me here. And feeling this wave of like love and this like goosebumps and tingling and just this feeling of being held by God. And it's so hard to describe, but it's so real and so tangible when you experience it and there's nothing else like it. You're right. When you invest time in him and like you're saying, get to know his voice, then you know what he sounds like when he speaks. And so he's going to speak to me in a loving and kind, gentlemanly way. He's respectful. And I would even say, you know, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What about, have you had visions or dreams? Oh, absolutely. We are made body, mind, and spirit, and it's all connected. And the Bible is filled with people who have had dreams that God communicating um, to them through a dream. I had a very specific dream and it was when I was starting to be wrestle and grapple with my identity. And we were on a sabbatical at the time and I had this dream that was very much, I remembered it so, so specifically that when I woke up, I said, God, what does this mean? Is this is a dream that you spoke to me specifically? What do you want to speak to me in it? And it had to do with my identity. And it was from there that God began the stripping process to be able to throw off anything that would hinder me from finding my true worth and identity in him. And not that I've arrived at some type of significant uh, plateau, but It's a lifelong process, I believe, of allowing him to strip away all those things that can hinder us from finding our identity and worth in him. Yes, I do agree that God can speak to us through visions and dreams. Um, Again, there's proof of that in the living word and scripture, how he does that. He's so creative the way he'll speak to us. And he knows each one of us so individually, knowing that we are created in his image And he knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? He's so loving and sweet like that. I think part of our worship for him is going to be that he reveals something new about himself. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. So we worship him for that. And then he reveals something else. I just don't think we'll ever get to the end of revelation of who he is. So when he looks at us and we're created in his image, he knows all of the facets with which he has created us. And therefore he appeals to them as individuals, traits and characteristics and whatnot. So even like you're saying, that intimacy with which he knows us is how he speaks to us. So that's exciting if you ask me. Absolutely. I think going into this new year of 2021, which so many of us are really ready for, (laughs) I think one of the words that two words stand out is about revive and reveal. Mm. That God would revive us Mm. in that intimate place with him and our relationship with our triune God and reveal more of himself to us, specifically to his children. Uh, As uniquely as he's made us, he can reveal himself to you. I pray that for your listeners. One of the chapters talks about the super mom and the abiding mom. And again, I think it comes back to the doing and the being. Can you give us examples of super mom and abiding mom? Woo! 
That's a hard layer to strip off that. Yeah, super mom. I wanted so much to be that super mom for my kids, like when they were young, buying just the right educational toys and the right birthday parties and everything being very, you know, just perfect and super. And I was just wearing myself out to exhaustion trying to do that. And I came across that little chart, abiding mom versus super mom. And I honestly can't remember where I found it, but it's in the book. I can't tell you how many women have said how encouraging and how much that really spoke to them about abiding, being that abiding mom, just being his child first, being God's child first. And from that place, being able to love and be the parent God had called me to be or calls me to be is so much more freeing and easier. And I have done that with my kids throughout the years, elementary, middle school, high schoolers, you know, and just being very authentic with them and saying, you know what, I'm not really sure how to handle this situation, but I'm going to go spend some time with God in it and come back to you. Or being very authentic and saying, you know what, I I really kind of blew it on that. And I'm really sorry. I wanted to be that super mom for you, but I'm not. And I apologize. And this is what God showed me on how to, to redeem the situation or this argument that we had. So learning how to abide in God and not trying to get it all super imperfectionist, but trusting him in my parenting journey has been so much more freeing, (laughs) much lighter for me. And I agree with you on that because when I entered into being a parent, I didn't have good role models for being a parent. I didn't understand how to be a good parent. I had more survival skills than relationship skills. I had a system of manipulation and deceit. That's what was modeled for me. I was excited to be pregnant thinking I was gonna have a child. And all of a sudden I went into a panic mode of thinking, wait, hold on. I do not want for my children what I experienced in my home. So then that's when I just dug in deep with the Lord and said, you have got to show me how to be a parent. You're a father. You're going to have to show me how to parent these children whom you're going to give me. And God did an amazing job. I did learn the difference between discipline for correction and then discipline that was abuse. I did learn about making my children responsible for their own actions, trying to be the super mom. I not necessarily want to say I did because I didn't understand what a super mom was, but I struggled through and the Lord covered over my shortcomings. He covered over the gaps that I left in my parenting style. And he showed me so much about his heart as a father for me, his daughter, I learned so much about his heart through the way that he had me relating to my children and seeing what did and didn't work with them. And uh, apology, I did that as well. I would say, I'm sorry, son, mama did not mean to overreact. What you did was wrong and it needed to be corrected, but how I responded was not right. And I owe you an apology for that. That was huge. It went a long way with my sons and it went a long way with me to see that because that was never done in my house. So to think about that super mom trying to reach this pinnacle of performance and the way that looks. So you, you think that the doing is less attractive (laughs) than the being that uh, abiding mom, that sounds far more powerful, although maybe not world worthy. 
Absolutely, Sherry. Yeah, it goes against what our culture <laughs> says. I mean, thank God I was parenting before Pinterest. Oh, yeah. Lord help me if I was doing it <laughs> during that time period. I think as a parent, uh, it shows you again, just his heart for us. And I learned so much being a mom. And it's been one of those most honoring and most humbling experiences that I hold on to and just so grateful for that gift of motherhood and learning more about my heavenly daddy, my heavenly parent in the process and how to love my kids from that place. I want to tie this together with the fact that it's a spiritual war that Satan has a plan for us, just like God has a plan for us. And we have free choice as to which one we get to agree with and pursue. Do you recognize the deceptive voice of the liar, the enemy? And if so, what does that sound like? And then how do you counteract that? Mm, So good. I opened the book about this, the reminder of the spiritual war. This war is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. And we as Christians need to remember that one of the most important things as I, as I encourage and, and, and mentor young women is being able to recognize the lies and the deception of the enemy because it creates the spiral downward thinking. The enemy will attack our worth and our value as women most of all. I mean, it's around us constantly in the images that we see. We have to look like this. We have to be this in order to find value and worth and being able to recognize that as a lie from the enemy straight from the pit of hell is the first thing we have to see. Having community with other safe Christian women to be able to help one another, to be able to see that and to call that out, Mm. you know, hearing my sister say, wow, I just feel like I just. I can't do that. I'm not worth that. And being able to stop her and say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Do you recognize that's a lie from the enemy right there? Okay. Let's replace that lie with the living word. Okay. Let's tear down that bad wallpaper, so to speak of lies of the enemy. And let's put up and roll up some new paint of the living word in your mind of who God says that you are. And that's key to be able to discern and, and, and to be able to, to recognize that kind of like when you're going down, you know, think of those like, like spiral slides that the kids have at the playground and you're going down that spiral slide and you got to like, put your hands out and stop yourself. Like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm, I'm not going down into this pit. Wait a minute. And being able to stop it and to be like, wait, I see where this is coming from. Let me fill my mind with the truth of who God says he is, who I am in Christ, where my true identity lies. That's that process of leaving our old self. Once you become a Christian and now you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're learning the value system of the Holy Spirit. It is a transformation, but that tool of taking that word, that thought that comes into your mind and holding it up against what the living word says about you. And you're discerning whether or not it's a lie or it's a truth. Clearly kill, steal, and destroy has the fingerprints of Satan all over it. And then the living peace, joy, that lightness, of course, is the Lord. Taking every thought captive and bringing obedient to Christ. It's a discipline of the mind to be able to discern where those thoughts are coming from. I mean, every, every 
thought and idea has a consequence to it mm-hmm. and being able to surrender it to Christ and be like, wait a minute, where's this thought and idea coming from? And again, that's, I believe, having that, that place of desire and desperation and dependency upon God to be able to, to hold it out to him. Say, where's this coming from? Is this from you, Lord, or is this from the enemy? Okay, I have a, I have a, I have a choice right now what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every action is rooted in a thought or an idea. Absolutely. So the power of that, curbing the thoughts and the ideas... And lining them up with the living truth and the living water creates a lifestyle that brings comfort and peace when things get tough. Because there's still the reality, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it, what happens when people make decisions that impact us. When you're in relationship, you are vulnerable. You are open to being hurt. And so that's another thing that certainly pushes identity into question. Anything that you want to add to today's conversation? I'd say just the reminder that you are created in his image, the image of God you were created. I think it goes back to knowing who your creator is, his true character, and that you are loved by him. And he has a purpose for your life. Despite any hard circumstances you've been through, despite the pain or the grief that you've been through. He is Elroy, the God who sees you. And read the living word of God, the Bible, the absolute truth. Everything in our society is trying to tell you that there is no absolute truth. And that in itself is a lie. The living word is the absolute truth. Read your Bible. Get to know the triune God who loves you. I get tickled at those who think that there is no absolute truth. Clearly, you want to ask them, are you absolutely sure that's the truth? When you think about the progression and the way God has entered into your life and stripped these layers away to get to a clear identity of who you are in him, Does anything stand out to you that he has spoken to you that was something beautiful that he spoke in the dark? Yes. God speaks beautiful things in the dark, doesn't he, Sherry? That he does. Yes. I think one of the things he spoke to me very, very specifically, it was during a dark time where I felt like all my worth had been stripped away. And during a worship song, it's an old song, and the worship leader kind of flipped the the lyrics and said, listen to this as if God is singing this to you. You are more precious than gold, more costly than silver, and nothing I desire more than you. And God gave me this picture of a treasure chest opening up and inside of it had gold and rubies and emeralds. And it was just absolutely beautiful and breathtaking treasure. And God said to me, that is how I see you, your value and worth. You are my treasure, Amy. You're my beloved. And it was during a worship song where I was surrounded by other people 
But in that moment, it was just God and I in his throne room. I've held on to that. And I have a necklace with a pendant that represents that just to remind me that my true worth and identity rest in him and that he sees me as his treasure. Those are beautiful parting words because I do believe that he sees that in all of us. And I would encourage those to sit with the Lord and ask him to give them a vision of how he sees them. What does he have to say to them about who they are in him and to his heart? Amy, you are a treasure to me. Thank you very much for your time. I love and appreciate you. Thank you. I'm so humbled and thankful for the opportunity to talk with you, Sherry, and to encourage others. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.